Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Elixir Mix. Today, just me on the panel, Alan Weima. And today I have a very special guest, Sergey Chechov. Yeah. Is here to talk about design patterns in Elixir, specifically the design pattern parameter, which is uh, interesting. It's kind of a mouthful, right? It's not very easy to say, I would say, <laughs> the, the name. But in any case, why don't we start first with a background about you? Can you tell us more about, about yourself? Yeah. My name is Sergey Chichaev, and even for me, it's difficult to pronounce my last name. I have been an Elixir developer for the past six years, and I'm also a co-founder and CTO of PushSMS company. So our servers send messages through different type of channels, such as SMS, Telegram, and WhatsApp. Also, we provide some tools for building bots inside these messengers and uh, work with different CRM systems. So we use uh, Elixir programming language. It's, I think, all about me. Well, I mean, what got you first interested in in doing Elixir to begin with? Or maybe we can start even before that. What got you? Uh -huh. What was your first programming language? My first programming language was PHP. It was uh, ten years or fifteen years ago, something like that. And after that, I worked a lot with Ruby, Ruby on Rails. And six years ago, I worked in uh, some company that created a social network, and there I switched from Ruby to Elixir because we were having performance problem. So our project that we, that we work, they need to serve a large number of customers. And uh, however, our application could only handle a limited number of customers. This is how the Ruby application server works. You need more hardware because of the concurrency and parallelism model inside the Ruby service. And as a result, we started to write the most loaded part, Feed News. It, it was Feed News uh, of the application to Elixir. So thereby reducing the number of servers from, I think, five to, to one, which save, saves us a lot of cash. So I realized that we could solve huge problems in this way. This Elixir has a lot of great tools, for example, Gen Server. So OTP, it's a great uh, tools, I think. So it's how I start work with Elixir. Then I start thinking about the patterns we have when we work with functional programming. And uh, so as a result, I write uh, this article. And I also start to think about patterns and uh, have some thoughts about it. Now, I'm kind of curious though, right? I understand why you switched from Ruby to Elixir, but the question is, how did Elixir even come onto your radar? Was there a colleague that told you about it, or did you see something on Twitter, or how did it come up? So Ruby programmers uh, work a lot with jump-like device, and I know that the jump was written by Asevalim, and I know, I know this guy and heard about uh, Elixir, heard about that it's connected with Berlin, and I think I start some pet project. I understand that uh, Elixir has a theme and that Elixir can serve a bunch of customers, a bunch of users. And as a result, we just tried, tried it in production and it saved us a lot of money. I mean, so we can reduce the count of, of servers that we use in production. Okay. Now, the thing I always hear is that Elixir is... Like, how do I say this? It's 
kind of, it looks like Ruby, but definitely doesn't act like Ruby, right? Ruby is very much object-oriented. Everything's an object, including integers and everything else. I mean, how, how was it to, to go from a very object-oriented language to a functional language? Yeah, it's a cool question. They, they have, yes, you meant that they, they have a similar syntax, uh, but the paradigm is so different. So Ruby, it's all OOP language and uh, Elixir is a functional programming language. Yes, and I think for for people who start working with uh, some programming language, functional programming language is more native because it doesn't have a bunch of abstractions like class and uh, inheritance, uh, something like that. In, and um, for me, it's, it was not so difficult to switch to functional programming language. I think that's why I really love this language. And also, I really like pattern matching, pair function. It's uh, very helpful stuff. What I actually often hear about uh, functional languages is that there's no real like design patterns. I mean, I, I hear that a lot from people who do object-oriented programming. So it's interesting and, and good to hear that you're you're talking about some design patterns, right? Yeah. And, and actually, most of the famous books for design patterns, I think, are all object-oriented languages, right? So what kinds of... Or maybe I can start with this way. When you switch from a language that's very object-oriented over to a functional language such as Elixir, I mean, how do you start to structure your code? Where do you get your ideas for... <laughs> design patterns yeah uh, i notice that most of the decision uh, discussion and the principle are around oop too but it doesn't it does not matter whether you use oop programming language or functional programming language some principle is still relevant uh, i think like solid or keys or dry for example if we Talk about solid single uh, the first letter single responsibility. It's it's uh, become intuitive for programmers to write function with one responsibility and I don't I don't know compose them together. So this principle is still relevant for functional programming languages. Or if we talk about open close principle, we can use pipeline composition. It's also relevant. So. If we talk uh, principle, it's still relevant. But maybe if we talk about patterns, yes, all these books use OOP languages. But I think we can convert some of them to, to function programming work, like service object that we often use in Ruby language. I think we can do the same thing. So Elixir will also have protocol that can match, I think, uh, with, uh, I don't know, risk of substitution principles, some kind like that. We, we also have behavior, and uh, all this sometimes connect with OOP world, so we can combine that, combine this uh, stuff and uh, use in, in, in functional programming world. Now, you mentioned solid principles, right? I, isn't that from mm -hmm. Bob Martin, the idea of solid? I'm not sure who was the first guy uh, talked about it. But yes, I, I really love this principle because they have some logic. And uh, yes, uh, I think it's still relevant for functional programming language like, like Elixir. 
Now, can you actually describe SOLID? Because SOLID is an acronym, right? Yeah. So the first letter is single responsibility. So it means uh, that your class or method do something that responsible for it. Uh, and as I said, it becomes become more intuitive for programming to write function with one responsibility if we connect it to it with Elixir. So the next letter is O, open close principle. So it means uh, that you need, you can change the program. You need to uh, expand, expand or scale it. Uh, because when you change, for example, your function or method, you can break something and uh, break the first rule, single responsibility. The next letter is L, LISCO, substitution principle. And again, when people generally think about this principle, the first idea that to their mind is, is that if the parent class behaves in a certain way, the children should behave the same. and so in Elixir, we have behavior, and I think we can reinvite our code to work with this principle. The second word is I, uh, interface segregation. So it means keep interface small so that users don't end up depending on this, uh, on things they don't need. I think we can uh, use protocol here. Uh, and uh, D, I think it's uh, dependency inversion. It's some kind of abstraction uh, and abstraction is not new under the sun as a functional programming word and the dependency inversion principle is based on abstraction function composition and high order function i think uh, come handy here yes so if we talk about solid i think it's uh, still relevant okay now when you maybe we can get back to the design pattern parameter right so mm-hmm. we, mostly we picked up this article and I thought it was quite interesting because I don't hear a lot of people talking about design patterns in Elixir. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm not reading the right stuff, but you were specifically talking here about like when you, if you generate an API from the PHX gen JSON command and some fields you're saying are, are actually to be calculated that you can apply this pattern, right? So mm-hmm. can you go into more description about what would be the main use of this kind of pattern? Yeah, of course. So sometimes we need to unify data that we get from external servers. Um, for example, we have a partner, a CRM system for Beauty7, and, and they have many integration with servers like us. And uh, this CRM system use a cool method, I think, on how to integrate service for sending SMS inside their service. They create uh, documentation uh, for one uh, for endpoint that send messages. And so we just need to create the same endpoint with similar request, response, and JSON structure. After that, we supply our domain name. They set up it uh, that does the same as was written in their documentation. So they they do request and everything works. So for us, it means that we have a different structure of request, but under the hood, we we use the same module and uh, business logic for sending messages. As a result, we built a different scope inside the raw file for this partner with different request structure using uh, this pattern, this pattern params. 
and it helps us use the same module and business logic uh, that, that we have. So this uh, um, this part will uh, really helpful for, for us. I think the main idea that you can separate uh, internal data from your business logic, you, you can uh, use the same, I don't know, service or model under the hood, but uh, your request, you, you can change it. So it helps us not boilerplate our code. Yeah, because you you create this, how would you call that? It's like actually what, what we call that, where you have this use keyword and you pass in a second argument, like for your controller, for your view, etc. And you have one called params, and that's one's going to make the uh, you know the, the ecto schema, and uh, it, it creates this function called fetch. And yeah. the the fetch one, I did not quite understand what the point of that one was. Uh, that one, yeah, this function just helper, and we can uh, add other function. Uh, to this uh, to the scope yes and um, we use fetch or I forgot we, we use this function for for get some value you use it I for think. for for fetching the status from the payment uh, mm -hmm. yeah struct yeah it's just helper uh, we can mm -hmm. add other function uh, or don't use it at all mm -hmm. okay yeah I'm, I'm aware that people are using like they're decoupling their kind of incoming parameters using an embedded schema to kind of make sure that they fit a pattern or fit, fit some style. And then they, they translate that one back. It seems like a little bit what you're doing in here, no? Yes, maybe you are right. And it's just one of the way how we can solve this, uh, the problems like we we have. And also this Python, I think it's some kind of... Uh, now they can validate your data before uh, yeah. put it in your uh, controller or something like that. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's like uh, XML or protobuf, something like that, but uh, inside the well-known Phoenix framework. Yeah, that's that was something interesting that you mentioned about and uh, about the protobufs, right? Mm -hmm. It's just reference. It's not that we need to. <laughs> we don't need to work with protobuf or other stuff. It's just uh, some reference for your mind uh, that people can could understand what we talk about. Yeah, yeah. So you have this payment module that's just an embedded schema. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that helps to kind of clean up the data coming in from the outside. That's what I'm understanding from here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, we can compare this uh, RAMS model with better schema of uh, payment, mm -hmm. uh, but, but if we try to compare with OOP world, for example, when we work with Ruby on Rails, we have, I don't know, some gem uh, Jai validation. It helps us separate validation logic from uh, your model, and uh, in some kind, this button also help you uh, separate some validation, especially if we talk about non-database validation. And it all also can uh, give, uh, I don't know, uh, the guy who tried to send external parameters to your service, how you, um, what uh, the type of uh, attributes or how uh, they need to work with validation.
but kind of going back into to, to patterns, right? How do you guys often use patterns and principles inside of your company right now? So, uh, firstly, um, we everything every time I think about uh, clear structure. I mean, uh, clear structure of uh, folder context uh, where we store our class module function method and etc. And behind the structure, there need to be a logical chain uh, in order to work with this code. And I think it helps uh, new programmers, especially those who are new, to understand how the feature works when when trying to solve issue or producing a new feature. This logic, this principle, uh, and uh, pattern like uh, a star, I think. So when when we don't use some principle or pattern, I, I speak from my experience. It, it's a nightmare. It looks like when you work with uh, some code that don't have any principle pattern, it looks like an alien programming language or spaghetti code. So we we try to think a lot about how we need to organize, organize this code um, and, and uh, I don't know, communicate with each other because when we talk to each other uh, some principal can save time by avoiding that need to re- re- reinvent the wheel for every new project and they they, co- they also can o- they can also improve code quality and software architecture can save time to communicate with each other but when you're bringing on, say, new developers to the team or even to the mm-hmm. project, right? Yeah. If you're using a pattern that is quite new to them, how do you kind of teach them this pattern? Because they're going to be doing a lot of things to try to catch up on the project, no? So can they really handle this pattern? I think, uh, first of all, we start uh, to reference to some books with some principle. As I said, uh, for example, Keys or Dry or Yagni. Or something so uh, they they can read about it and also when you work w- with a small team that uh, use the same pattern the same principle it looks like only one uh, programmer write all, all this code and it also help understand how you need to to write a new code how to start writing a new feature and yes I think we also have uh, some some channel inside our discourse message where, where we can communicate with each other. Uh, the name of this channel, Helping Hands, and everyone in our team can uh, communicate between each other and ask them how this feature works or what we can uh, use there, what button we can use there, or could you explain how this principle works? So something like, like that. I see. I mean, I'm just thinking as like a beginning developer, sometimes, you know, in, in general, I'd like to understand how the system works, but picking up new patterns can be quite quite a handful, right? Especially if it's a pattern that you've never heard of or never seen before, let alone Elixir is very much a language that most people just don't know. And also, let alone, again, functional programming mm-hmm. is also an, another concept that most people don't get taught in school. Yeah, and... Uh... That's also why I write this article, because firstly, it was to share my experience with my team colleague and uh, put uh, buttons principle that we use in our project together. 
and uh, secondary, it was appearing that there were not many articles about this, especially functional programming work. And I really want to share it and uh, get feedback. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for this kind of article, I mean, do you do you actually send this article around in the company, or you know, is to help kind of help them to understand, or this is just something for everybody to take a look at? I think both both of them. <laughs> yes, for my colleague and uh, for other people, maybe some give me uh, a feedback, and we can use this principle more better. Okay. So you, so you actually send this article to people in the company for them to actually read and understand. Yeah, yes. And also we use this. Uh, we use this in practice. Uh, as I said, with one of CRM, we have a different set of internal data, but we still want to use the same business logic, the same service. And we use this pattern for separate internal data into two different scopes. Okay. Yeah, I saw that this is actually a, a multi-part article series, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to write uh, the second, third, and of part. And I think uh, two days ago, I posted uh, the rail-oriented uh, programming uh, pattern, and uh, I really love this uh, pattern or principle because uh, this helps create the structure of our program as a specification especially handle uh, handle errors, solve method cases, and uh, simplify uh, context logic. Yeah, the, the other design is called railway-oriented programming. What, what is that? Is that that, I think I seen an article a long time ago talking about railway and like somebody on the tracks. Is, is that related or no? Yes, 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 of course it's related. I also see some, I also saw some conference about this uh, approach and read uh, some article. I think, yes, uh, about four years ago. And uh, I really love how the, this principle can solve nested cases and work with Europe. So, and I think it's uh, connected with, if we compare it with OOP word, it's uh, connected with service object and yeah, because we, uh, if we work with this partner principle, we can we, we use function call, and in, inside this functional, this function call is, is entry point, and inside this function we, we can put the, the chain of other function that solve specific stacks, for example, validation, uh, difficult validation, and and it helps to uh, read. Uh, a function call as a specification and understand what, what is going on. Yeah, I was just reading about that. That's I think I've definitely seen the pictures before talking about this, the railway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I know that like I'm I kind of really like there's like those two keywords that came in a couple versions of Elixir ago is like uh then and tap. Mm-hmm. Have you seen those? No. Okay. So cause because sometimes I want to keep piping and then sometimes I have this condition I have to execute in the middle. And I end up sometimes using the uh, a then. So then will like allow you to pass an anonymous function mm-hmm. as an argument in a pipeline. 
and you can do you know stuff in the middle because like if you have like a bunch of calls at the beginning that are piped and you have to do something with conditional and then a bunch of more pipes in that part you can use it then and whatever you pass yeah. in and whatever you return will so what you pass in will get of course what you got before and then what you pass out will will, will actually send back out normally but they also have a function called tap Tap will allow you to take so whatever you you pass in is also what you pass out, but then you can do stuff with it. Maybe some I/O inspects or some kind of side effect with the value, which is kind of cool. Yeah, this uh, button also help you. I don't know um, to do really difficult stuff. I mean, uh, if you need to send, uh, if for example, if you need to run some worker or grind the ground job send some email or calculate something after after you put something in database. It, this button is really helpful because uh, it avoids nested cases and you just uh, go through red or green path and if you get red path, you if you get a green path, you uh, execute this function and uh, if you get red path, you to the next function and so on. So it, it, yes, it, so it help uh, avoid the nested keys. Got it. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely useful. I remember seeing this a long time ago, but I, I haven't looked at this for, for quite some time. Yeah, yes, and mm-hmm. yes, and I uh, mentioned the article that I was reading. I don't know about four years ago. Well, when you start to write my article, you can see the reference to other uh, to other uh, article that have a good picture how this red and green path works. Mm-hmm. So this uh, stuff help us. Work, um, I think so difficult difficult uh, issue. And um, yes, I want to say that also this button uh, have some reference uh, with form object if we try compare functional programming language and OOP. I don't know. Um, form, o- form object um, we use when we need to work with uh, work with a difficult form, I mean web form, where we need to save data to different table and execute some background job. So it's uh, some kind of parallel of OOP word. I think uh, this approach, and some people also think that it's some kind of uh, manada, but I think it's more abstractive than that manada, and we also can use manada inside this this approach because if uh, we work with error uh, manada, it returns triple uh, org or error, and it is also easy to use in railway uh, program, uh, railway programming approach because uh, if we get oak we we use green pop and if we get arrow we can follow the red pop and i don't know send the arrow to console or send errors to sentry or other debugging system yeah the railway i mean i've i've also seen system that's more kind of event-based that's that can kind of happen like this too no if you send out a signal then send out an event then people can listen and react to that event right this could be very similar to this kind of railway style yeah okay and i think um in functional programming world we also have some principle like pure function and i think it's also 
reference to single responsibility or keys principle, keep, keep, keep it simple. So I think in functional work, we need more functions or principle. And I hope I inspire uh, people to write the same article or maybe tell me how we can improve this uh, stuff because it's uh, easier to communicate with other programs when we, when we have some function. When we name it, uh, we can understand each other uh, more briefly. Mm, I understand. Are you planning to add more patterns? Because it seems like you kind of stopped your series now. You only have the two patterns that you wrote about on Medium. Yes. I want I want to write uh, about feature toggle. It's not about, I think it's not about button. It's some kind of principle that we can use to introducing uh, new functionality or for a AB test, test or for turn off or on some function. We can, we can use the model where we can put some business logic and switch off or switch on this and this this feature is good for as I said for a AB testing and if we ask here that we can drop something on production and because we can test it uh, in local host we can use this uh, feature toggle uh, principle yes and I think it's really uh, useful stuff. Yeah, you feature toggles, right? Yeah, that's something yeah. I've been wanting to take a look at. We had a previous episode where there's a company that was handling feature toggles for Elixir applications. This is something that does come through my head because sometimes you want to be able to switch on, switch off features and productions or even pending a certain white label apps for clients, right? Or even different uh, environments. Mm-hmm. Something that I've been thinking about. How can we do that in a nice, safe, easy way? And you also want to be able to have your clients also turn stuff on and off on their own, too. Yeah, it's really helpful stuff. Yeah. Especially if we scare that something was broken on production, we can use this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like like a beta feature that you're releasing or alpha even, just to see how it goes. And it goes all, it goes very bad. <laughs> and you want to be able to flip mm-hmm. that off, right? Yes, yes. Especially if you have some problem. With, uh, we have performance problems, for example. Yeah. And we're not sure uh, that... I don't know, it can break something. Yes, and also I want to write about protocol and how we use that in our application. I think it's uh, some kind of button factory, but for functional programming board, it's, it's hard to explain. I think we need more example how we can use protocol for, for this way. But all we know about how button factory work, so I think it's... Uh, this how we use protocol. It's uh, the same if you use factory when you work with OOP programming language like I don't know Ruby or Java. And after that, I want to write an article about presenter. It's also a button that we use in OOP world. It helps us prepare some data and simplify it for, for example, for view. If we compare it with OOP word, uh, for example, in Ruby, we use presenter, uh, for example, if we want hide if or, uh, or key statement and uh, simplify our code and also separate uh, logic, business logic, uh, logic about you inside, inside this button. And 
uh, at the end of this blog post, I, I want to write some stuff about GenServer, how we use it and uh, what problem uh, we solve because we can make some mistake. For, for example, when we work with GenServer, we can put some task inside init function and it's not a good idea. For this, we, uh, we use handle continuous and some people don't, don't understand why it's a bad idea. And there are also other um, hidden problem um, when, when we use uh, John server and we work a lot with John server. And I think I can share my experience, what mistake we have, we had, and I think it uh, helps someone not uh, get, get this mistake. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you find that quite a few people are using gen servers in a, in a not so efficient way? Yeah. Yes, of course. Of course. B- because it's uh, new uh, for people who work with uh, OOP languages. This prediction uh, it comes from Erlang words, from Elixir words, and, uh, and people don't get actually how it works. That's why they uh, make a mistake. Yeah, understand. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, thanks for introducing a lot of these patterns. I can start to use. I, I didn't really think too much about about these, and I may want to start to even employ them to some of my applications. Is there is there something else you wanted to say? Because we're actually approaching the end of our time together. Mm-hmm. No, I think uh, the main idea that we need to to use some principle when we work with uh, functional programming. Language too. It's not matter that it's not OOP. I think it's still relevant. We need to think about solid. It's also still relevant, and also we need uh, some patterns how we can solve our business uh, cases uh, by these patterns. And uh, I want to share it with uh, some people and get the feedback. And I think we uh, be better as a programmer. Okay, sounds good. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Is it through, uh, do you have a Twitter or should we follow you up on Medium or how can we learn more about what's going on? I think Medium and uh, I can send you my Twitter, but I just read something, not post at all in Twitter. I also have a Facebook, yes. Okay, and with that, I wanted to go switch over to Pics. So for me, uh, my pick for, for this week is I just started to play a game called Alan Wake. I don't know if you've ever played that one before, Sergey, but it's kind of like a, I don't know if you, I guess you can kind of call, call it like an RPG. It's made by Remedy, who made uh, Max Payne 1, a couple of other games. And yeah, it's kind of cool. I, I like it. It seems like it has a lot of checkpoints. So I like that I can play for a short while and then turn it off. No need to worry about getting to the next checkpoint. I just started, I think I played about a half hour or so, but I'm liking the game so far. I like this kind of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Sergey, you play games? Yes, I play games. I have uh, children and children, and I play with them Fortnite, for example. Oh, yeah. And yes, and uh, also I like running. And I think my pick is um, I, I, I wrote the book, the author of this book, Tim Carnezes. He's from, I think, from California. Mm-hmm. And I read the, the book, uh, Runner's Night. And it's a cool, and I think it's my pick, this book, Iran on Snipe. Okay. 
Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, if there's no other kind of last words, then it's getting late over here. And uh, it was great to hear more about design patterns in, in Elixir and kind of what you, you guys are doing. So it's it's good to hear some some real life feedback and how it's going. So I appreciate you, you. Uh, making the effort to come on and hopefully have you again in the future. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to the podcast.